0: Welcome back to the Unbelievable Podcast. I am B.J. Rodell, back here with my guy, Drew Mahold, and today we are talking about a tragic Minnesota Vikings loss on the road against the Seattle Seahawks at CenturyLink Field. Um, so we're going to spend basically this entire episode breaking down that performance, uh, what went wrong. Some things did go right, so we'll talk about those things as well. Um, And then we'll kind of get into the uh, the ins and outs like we typically do. Uh, We'll also do the skull scale segment like we do after every Vikings game to kind of get a gauge on uh, where our optimism stands as well as where you guys are at um and that's gonna be uh that's gonna be it for today uh just a quick kind of gonna be a quick one I'm not feeling great uh and this game isn't gonna be the most fun thing to talk about so uh that's the game plan for uh Tuesday's episode well I guess Wednesday's episode since uh we're a day late publishing because of the Monday night game so um let's jump right into it here uh I'll give you your quick uh summary of the game that you don't need final final score Seattle Seahawks win 37 to 30 uh Vikings showed up early though uh, the first drive was a thing of beauty. Kirk Cousins worked the ball down the field through C.J. Hamm and then finished it off running the football with Dalvin Cook, who got in for his NFL-leading t- 12th rushing touchdown of the season. Uh, things after that started to get a little bit idiffy. Uh, Chris Carson was able to sort of jam it down the Vikings' throats. Uh, by the by, the time the half was over, it was 17-10 to 10 Vikings, and uh, that was largely a product of an interception return for a touchdown by Anthony Harris that was pretty fluky, let's just be real here. <laughs>
1: it was very fluky. But that's
0: but that's what happened. Uh, so the Vikings had a seven-point lead at halftime. Seattle came out just on fire in the second half. Russell Wilson seemed to figure it out a little bit more through the air. Uh, he only had 98 passing yards at the half, halfway point. He ended up finishing at 240. So things went a little bit downhill for the Vikings secondary in particular. Uh, Xavier Rhodes had an all-time bad play on his part. Uh, David Moore burned him deep for a 60-yard touchdown that at the time seemed like it was going to put the game out of reach, and I think people were starting to reach for the remotes uh, given how late mm-hmm. the game carried on. But the Vikings did show a little bit of resilience in the fourth quarter. A couple more touchdowns. Kyle, uh, Kyle Rudolph scored on another fantastic catch. Um, he probably doesn't get enough credit for how good his hands are. And Laquan Treadwell, wide open, probably the easiest catch that he'll ever make. Uh, But in my mind, by the way, just to throw this one in there, that catch separates him from Troy Williamson, because Troy Williamson would not have caught that ball. So (laughs) uh, Laquan Treadwell now ahead of Troy Williamson. And ultimately, what this thing comes down to is Kirk Cousins, which uh, unfortunately a lot of you are probably going to blame him for this because he did have the ball with a chance to win the game with three minutes and 30 seconds left. Vikings got one first down and then missed a flurry of throws in a row. Uh, Irv Smith Jr. not being able to come up with the catch on what really was the final opportunity for the Vikings. I know that C.J. Ham fumbled um, to end the game, but they're really they, the Vikings were realistically going to have to go about you know 80, 75 to 80 yards um, in about 20 seconds. So yeah. uh, that is the game that we're looking at here. Uh, it was not a vintage Russell Wilson performance, but he did more than enough to get his team the victory. They ultimately did score 37 points, and they didn't get a whole lot of help from their defense either, uh, because Kirk Cousins was also pretty good for the most part. Uh, the one interception that he threw, um, you could probably say it was at least 60 or 70 percent on digs, because that ball should have been caught by him. And other than that, I mean, the completion percentage not great at 22 for 38. Uh, the QBR, if you're a fan of the ESPN statistics, 37.3, also not awesome. But as a whole, I mean, we'll start with Kirk Cousins here because I think he's kind of the uh, the easy per- the easier player to start with, given the Monday Night Football history, uh, the flurry of narratives that we're all tired of hearing about. And he came out and he played a pretty good football game, right?
1: I mean, it was it was fine. Like I, know I had discussions with um, my friends about this after the game and. It's it was it was fine. Like he didn't um, he didn't really help the team a ton. I don't think he hurt the team a ton either. Uh, he was just kind of, you know, they didn't really open up much of the playbook until they were down 17. Right. A lot of the throws were underneath. I think it took him took them well into the second half or second quarter to throw beyond five yards past line of scrimmage. So he it's one of those where the game plan was pretty conservative, or at least it seemed that way early on. Um, he. I mean, he made underneath throws. He made, you know, like CJ Hamplay, for example, went for 35 yards on a you know little dump off.
0: And that was like uh, negative three yards in the air. Right,
1: exactly. So uh, and then, of course, you know, I don't know how much credit he gets for the Treadwell touchdown where he was more open than anybody really has ever been in the NFL far right. that far downfield. But so it, he wasn't bad. Uh, he didn't. He didn't give away any. He didn't, he didn't turn him over besides the interception that uh, you know wasn't really his fault with the PI. Plus, it was right out of Diggs' hands. So it, it, he didn't help. He didn't hurt the team. He was just kind of a very typical. I would. I don't want to call him average because that has a not negative connotation. But yeah. I think it was an average performance from your quarterback, which you know when your team puts up or I, I guess. I mean, when your team allows 37 points, an average performance is just isn't going to get it done. So, right. um, you're asking a lot of your quarterback to win a game when you give up that many points.
0: Okay, so let's switch the question then. Uh, I I know I know that nobody likes comparing quarterbacks because they obviously they're not playing against each other on the field. But Russell Wilson played his game. It was not like I said before. It was not his best performance of the year. It was not an MVP caliber performance. Um, Likes of which that we've seen from him throughout this season. It was a good enough performance. I think you could say the same thing about Wilson. So my yeah. question here is: Kirk Cousins? Did Kirk Cousins play better for the Vikings at quarterback, or did Russell Wilson play better for the Seahawks at quarterback?
1: It's a tough one. Um, I mean, I wanna. That interception is so funny that rushed through because, like, if he's I don't know six four, like yeah, the whole time people have been saying, oh, he's defying what the scout said about his height and all this stuff but like if he's 6'4 that pass was batted down but he's so short he ended up batting it in the air what was uh, he thinking there i don't know like he kind of deserved
0: that one. i know it was fluky, I, but he earned like, it. he
1: isn't, like obviously it's it, you can't blame him for the ball getting batted down the line of scrimmage by watts right but you also like just just let he can just let it fall to the ground if he wants to but he instead wanted to bat it in the air and play volleyball i don't know that was but, interesting so for on, on that interception i don't want to blame him but i kind of do Whereas you know Kirk directly turned that or uh, the Kirk interception was not directly his fault by any means. Um, I don't know. I mean they're they're both fine. Like I didn't see anything special from either one to be honest. So right. I, I think it was uh, other factors besides quarterback play that that defined this game.
0: Yeah, I think that's safe to say. Uh, Mike Zimmer, for what it's worth, I know his g- defense is getting a lot of heat today. Um, he's getting a lot of heat. Xavier Rhodes is like the the scapegoat and. Not really a scapegoat because he deserves a lot of the, the shame that he's getting today. Um, or maybe he doesn't deserve it. You know what I'm saying. He, he, he earned the negative um, media that's coming his direction for at least this week, if not longer, given uh, the way that he's played this entire season. But for the most part, Russell Wilson's game, the way he likes to play football when he's at his best, was shut down by what Mike Zimmer's approach yeah. well, was. I, I
1: think a lot of it was just that the Vikings were like, yeah, run the ball on us. We don't right. want Russ to beat us. So, right. and then They also contained scotch. him, too.
0: He right. wasn't able to run the yeah, ball, either. I
1: guess, yeah, that's true. Um, I was a little bit surprised how disciplined that they were. And like, I mean, We know Everson likes to get way upfield, and he did a few times, uh, right. but most of the time when Russ would try to escape or whatever, there was somebody there to at least contain him or force a throwaway or force something. Um, but I think you know Russ didn't get to uh, the the flashy numbers weren't there. I, I suppose because it seemed like the Vikings were just inviting Seattle to run the ball the entire game, and Seattle's like fine by us. And then they just destroyed the interior defensive line of the Vikings.
0: Right. It was it was definitely a frustrating night um, watching from you know from a fan perspective, looking at this defense and thinking like, what are you, what is Mike Zimmer doing right now? right i saw a lot of like on you know reading through twitter throughout the game i saw a lot of people just being like zimmer's lost it or uh what is this defense that he's doing you know they're just jamming it down our throats what, basically what they were doing from what i could see is they were going to run zone coverage over the top with some safety help because of how the cornerbacks have played this year that yeah. makes sense so you're not going to allow russell wilson to beat you with his w- over the top so they're guarding against the big play but what zone coverage also does and this kind of goes this is a little bit more of a unique take as opposed to what you're going to be hearing from everyone else. Is that zone coverage is also going to keep it's going to keep Russell Wilson in the pocket too because he doesn't have the option to flee yeah. to the outside where he's gotten very comfortable throughout his career, particularly rolling to his right. Because you're going to have a guy in zone out in the flat there, whether that's a linebacker or a defensive end. We see it different in different ways within Mike Zimmer's defense. But you, they were basically forced to. Out of two reasons. One out of necessity because man coverage simply is not working this year with safer Roads and Trey Waits. It's the unfortunate truth. We have to start to live with that. The second reason is because that zone coverage is going to keep him within the pocket and then hopefully – and I know that you've guys seen this take thrown around, so this one's not – like I'm kind of regurgitating this one, but it, it's important to say the Vikings are getting zero pressure from their interior defensive line. So when those edge rushers are coming or coming towards the quarterback and they're collapsing that pocket – there's area to step up. And I mm-hmm. saw—I can't remember who said this, but in the past, we've seen guys like Tom Johnson, Linval Joseph when he was at his best. That area to step up simply wasn't there because they were either yeah. able Sheldon to – Sheldon Richardson last Sheldon year. Sheldon Richardson last year as well, yeah. For as good as Shamar Stephen can be at times against the run, he was foul yesterday. But uh, in general, he, that's kind of his strength as a, as a clogger. He is not good at all as a pass rusher. That's not helping. Armin mm-hmm. Watts needs to see more time because he's yeah. the only playmaker within that interior defensive line. And who would have thought that in back in August? I mean, he's a nice player. He's certainly not – I did not think that he was going to be the best. Linfield doesn't look like himself. Part of that is because he's coming yeah. off of surgery. Yeah, Part of I don't
1: that think he he's definitely wasn't 100%, I don't think.
0: Right. So Watts is like – Watts needs to get more time. Straight up. And it's not just the, the the batted ball that turned into the pick six. It's a lot of different things for him. He creates yeah. a pass rush, which Shamar Steffen simply does not do. So yeah. that was what, how the defense was designed to work. You think zone coverage over the top, keep the big plays away. Then you get good, solid pressure from the interior. That's going to kind of hold the run game. And then you've got your edge rushers on the sides who are guarding. Or they're either in contain on a run play to the outside, which for what it's worth, the Seahawks did not do too much of yesterday. It was pretty much Carson over and over and over again between those A gaps or the B gaps, I suppose. But they, ha- they had all the pieces in the right place. Everything was right. Yeah. It was, this defense could work, theoretically.
1: Yeah, but I mean, there was the, the funny thing place. that – so I think Zimmer in a press conference said something along the lines of like that he was surprised how often Seattle ran the ball, okay, which –
0: That's also dumb.
1: Which, yeah, because A, if you're going to invite the Seahawks to run the ball – I mean, they they run the ball a ton already. Like, they love I remember, to run the ball. Like last year it was absurd. You know, they just – that that's all they did. And they're better and then, at
0: passing too, but they prefer to run it for some reason.
1: Right, right. And – it, so if you're going to invite them to run the ball, expect them to run the ball and then be ready to stop it for sure. And they didn't. And th- literally the time of possession was 40 minutes for Seattle and 20 for the Vikings. So uh, to me, I mean, I'm trying to look at third. Yeah. Seattle was seven 15 on third down, which actually, I mean, that's it's a little bit worse than I thought, but um, it, they couldn't get off the field on uh it, I don't, I wonder how many of those first downs they got were running the ball. It had to have been several of them. So and Chris, it was really – they're all, they're all third and short too because they'd get, you know, four to five on all those run plays, and you got third, one, third, and two facing you, and it's pretty easy to get those when you're getting a four-yard push in the interior of your line every time.
0: Yeah. Chris Carson, for what it's worth, uh, just to kind of smooth that one over a little bit, he does lead the NFL in first round, uh, first down rushing attempts, followed by Dalvin Cook. But my point being there is that he does this to a lot of people. He is a very—he's a grinder. Um, he's vi- when he's not
1: fumbling, he's pretty effective. Exactly.
0: Yeah. If he's not fumbling the football, which he does do a lot, he's got six of them this year. Um, then he's uh, he he can be very dangerous, especially
1: when you're working with a lead. I think so, you called that. You 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 missed on your turnover this I turnover call this turnover. week.
0: I did miss on my turnover this week. I I can't believe that. I think it's because Rashad Penny got involved they started trading carries so he wasn't con- he wasn't consistently grinding it that must be why there was a material there's a material sure change that's the only reason yeah there's a material change that's why my prediction was wrong <laughs> <laughs> um anyways um so the rushing offense for Seattle uh that was really what killed the Vikings yesterday uh Chris yeah. Carson 23 for 102 and a touchdown Rashad Penny 15 for 74 and a touchdown like Drew said consistently grinding first downs um, on the ground, that was a huge difference maker in this game, um, and ultimately the Vikings were not able to run the ball probably as much as they wanted to because they did get down so much. They got down, what was it, ten points in the third quarter, and they were entering the fourth quarter and you know dire straits. I believe it was a two or three possession game at one point. It was a
1: seventeen point game, yeah. and the Treadwell touchdown happened. Which it, okay, let's revisiting that point when Seattle went up seventeen. I think that was. I think that might have been right after the interception off mm-hmm. of Diggs or off the PI um, when they then went down and scored. I'm not 100% sure on that, uh, but I think regardless when I when that happened, uh, I think everybody just kind of even uh, even felt the vibe from the Vikings that the game was just over. You know, and it, it was like there was it's it just felt like you know deflating uh didn't feel like there was any energy and then somehow Seattle just forgets to cover Laquan Treadwell completely and then all of a sudden like there's a little bit of life there uh it's like I feel like if Treadwell hadn't if there wasn't that busted coverage there I think this game would have been very ugly
0: absolutely it's funny that you say that too because Treadwell was like really excited about that touchdown he come he came flying (laughs) in with his arms wide open like that's the biggest play of his NFL career um, he's
1: seriously because that tied his uh single game yards high it also t- tied his uh, season high for touchdowns in a season with one. That's a big one. That's big. That's a big that play big. for the like contract ball. It was,
0: yeah. And hard touchdown. There, it was funny because there was no one like you could. There was no Viking celebration on that play. It was just like I he know, was it's... really excited. It was kind of like when Cordero Patterson uh, returned I remember that this. kick. It was, it was the, against uh, Seattle, right? It was against, right?
1: Seattle. It was against it, Seattle. And they were down 35 like thirty-five. I, I, I remember. I I threw a fit about this. Yeah. <laughs> they they were up. They were down thirty-five. Nothing. Patterson took a, a kickoff back in like the second half, and just was. I think for the last thirty yards of the touchdown run uh, on the field was high-stepping, and it's like, buddy, like, buddy, you're please. down, you're down by thirty-five. Don't do that.
0: Yeah, it was a similar situation, but ultimately it did. It really did get the Vikings like a true chance to get back in the game. I can't. That was yeah. That was just a ridiculous. I don't even know what happened there. It was like it was like Seattle only had ten guys
1: on the field. That's what it, it was. like. Maybe, maybe that's the case. That, that was, would make sense. Or maybe they just felt they, maybe they just really disrespected Treadwell that much, and I, I mean, I don't know if you blame him for that, but I, and then I think it's also worth noting. So when I think the following Seattle possession after that touchdown, uh, the Vikings got another stop, and it was fourth and four when Seattle used that fake punt oh. to hit that first down, and that to me I, I was another dagger after the seventeen point lead. I was like, okay, then now it's over. When Pete, Pistol Pete pulls that out of his uh, pocket, and then the Vikings do get a stop, which I was very surprised by. I think that was actually when Rhodes forced that fumble, uh, which was, by the way, insanity that it was called an incomplete pass on the field. But Zimmer (laughs) did go two for two on challenges. I think Uh, that
0: was the first time in his career that he's done that, by the way. When the
1: Vikings were able to get that turnover, I thought, okay, maybe. And I I, I think I tweeted something along the lines of, like, pretty rude for the Vikings to uh, stay in the game like this and, you know, keep my hopes up. And then they went down to score with the Rudolph catch. Uh, and then of course the Dan Bailey miss, uh, and then that just uh, there's so much like uh, you get the the hope early on, and then you get the crushing play with the Dalvin fumble plus the injury plus the Diggs injury. Oh my God! That the world was falling we down. We spent
0: some time on that play.
1: The that sky was... was falling down for about five minutes there before we heard Diggs was going to return. But yeah. Uh, it, all of that was the, the the memes, the tweets, everything on, on Twitter was, was, for a non-Vikings fan, very entertaining, I'm sure, because that was the perfect storm of just miserableness
0: in one play. It was, okay, so my, my, buddy, my buddy texted me immediately after that play and just said, our entire season just ended on one play. And that's, it, it looked like a worst case scenario because it was a non-contact injury for Dicks. We didn't see what happened to Diggs. He just fell. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. your instant reaction there, or at least mine, when I see non-contact, ACL. ACL or Achilles, one of those two things. So, both of those season injury ending injuries probably not back to like week 4 of next year. So, I'm thinking that's what I'm thinking with Dicks. Then I see Dalvin Cook, and anytime Dalvin Cook spends more than like 5 seconds on the turf, I'm worried because Oh yeah. Yes, he's been healthy this entire season. Knock on wood, but he's still injury prone. He's, you know, he yeah. well he did ACL. have the banged up
1: shoulder from the Denver game too. Like that right. was, and he landed on that shoulder and then he was holding it on the ground. and I thought, uh,
0: I thought separated shoulder there. That, was, I my, that was my guess. Okay. I thought it was Which,
1: collarbone or, or something like that. So yeah.
0: you're looking at those injuries right there. And that is your, your 1A and your 1B in this offense. It's your 1A and probably your 1C if Adam Thielen is there. It, uh, short of Kirk Cousins also getting hurt, that like literally nothing worse can happen there. <laughs> and on top of it, Delvin Cook turned the ball over in the most critical Vikings game of the season at the worst possible time when they still had a like were they were very much in the game when that happened. And all of a sudden that was like that was destructive. I could I could not believe that play. And it was it was so it was fluky, too. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was like it was one of those plays where, like I said, non-contact type of thing with Diggs, and then Dalvin Cook has ran that same play hundreds of times this year, probably. Well, not yeah. hundreds, but you know, a lot of times this year. And that was that was ridiculous. So, ultimately, it seems like Dalvin Cook says he's going to play again next Sunday. Stephon Diggs, like you said, returned to the game, and the Vikings were able to mount a bit of a comeback uh, before coming up a little bit short. Uh, before we talk about that drive, though. Uh, Dalvin Cook finishes nine of twenty-nine. Uh, he does get the touchdown for your fantasy team. So for those of you who needed a Week Thirteen win, Week Thirteen, right? Uh, he uh, he did come up with probably enough fantasy points to do so. It wasn't a breakout game, but he played a, he played pretty solid. Uh, the average certainly wasn't there. The Vikings, as a, as a team, were not able to run the ball with too much efficiency. Uh, Alexander Madison came in and gave it a go, and Stephon Diggs had that weird little end around that went for twenty-seven on the opening drive. Uh, but for the most part rushing was not the way for the Vikings this week. So, let's get let's get to that final dr- uh, I'm going to call it the final drive. The the drive where the Vikings are down by Yeah. 4 points. Kirk Cousins has the ball with 3 minutes and 30 seconds left. Okay. The first play, I believe it was a 19-yard reception. I want to say it was Diggs. I can't remember off the top of my head. The next three plays, CJ Ham That
1: was a Kyle Rudolph reception. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, that's right. He beat uh, Wagner over the middle. I think.
0: Okay, so th- it starts off great. You've got a great catch by Rudolph to start off the draft. The next three pass attempts were to C.J. Ham, Laquan Treadwell, and Irv Smith. Those are your three targets. Yeah, so you got
1: okay. I'm looking at the the the, the play sheet here. You got um, incomplete left to Diggs, and that might have been a throw. Wait, now that I remember. Um, but you got incomplete left to digs and you got a completed i think it was a check down to madison for seven years
0: not not ham madison yeah uh,
1: that i think it was just a check down mm-hmm. um and then you got yep you got the the um over the middle to treadwell which i believe was deflected mm-hmm. uh but still you're looking for treadwell all over the middle and then that weird I, I didn't like the route concept on that fourth and three uh because a you're you're basically using digs as a clear out right because mm-hmm. he goes steve down the left sideline to open up the sticker out for Irv underneath um which i mean we i think we both of us can agree that digs is going to be the favorable matchup against these corners and he was one-on-one for what it's worth on that sideline um so i don't know i would almost trust like a quick back shoulder throw to the sticks something like i don't know um, i would have done a
0: slant i think
1: or a slant anything you know that's, it's one I'm of those situations. running zone though. And then Either were... on, well now on third and three, when that's four down territory, first of all, just run the ball, run the ball up the, mid, up the middle, use a draw play, whatever it is. If Madison, he was getting yards and, and chunks the whole, the whole game mm-hmm. in replace of, of Dalvin cook. Uh, you probably get the first down there. Don't even have to worry about the fourth down. Uh, but then they, you, they went back to the pass on fourth and three, Irv didn't get any separation on the route. Diggs, uh, it was basically a decoy, which I don't love. You don't enough, love that. So. Yeah, uh, And again, I mean, it's, obviously it's it's way more difficult um, when, you know, you don't have Thielen and your number two, number two receiver is B.C. Johnson and Treadwell can't get separation for himself either. So you're really limited to the weapons you got out there. Now Dalvin's out of the game. So you really have to kind of um, – I mean, Irv really was your number two option there unless you go to Rudolph who really isn't a separation guy himself, although he does know how to catch the ball uh, in contested sure. situations.
0: Okay, so my, my issue with that drive isn't f- – It's a couple of things. Um, I don't have a problem with the players that were targeted. I just think that it's important to note what Kirk Cousins was working with on that final drive. This was certainly not like – this was not an ideal situation, and that's part of the reason why I don't – I still think that this was an opportunity for Kirk Cousins to tell a lot of people to shove it, but at the same time, you know, he doesn't – like, Diggs is basically being taken away by Pete Carroll at this point. So he is – I, I, I respect the idea behind using him as a clear out guy to get the safety hopefully you get a safety to pull over the top and he also drags a cornerback with him that clears two guys out of the play hopefully you get one-on-one coverage and you know like you said you try to get someone separation the problem that I have with that last play specifically is that that is one of the most difficult throws in football people don't people don't realize this because it, it quarterbacks hit that so simply that quick 12 that, that quick out I believe it was six yards on that play. The 12-yard out is obviously a little bit more <clears throat> difficult than six, mm-hmm. but the six-yard out is one of the hardest throws to make in football simply because you're throwing from – if you're a right-handed thrower, which Kirk Cousins is, and he's throwing to the left side of the field, he's throwing awkwardly across his body to a position where if the cornerback is in good position, as the or the linebacker – was a K.J. Wright or Bobby Wagner there? Yeah. Whoever it was – uh, was in good position. All you need to do is reach your hand out in front of the player, and you have you have the the inseam to the ball. The the, the like you don't have the opportunity to kind of box out in that situation because yeah. you're going to get offensive of pass interference. That a
1: perfect throw doesn't isn't even enough. You right. know, like right. like a good coverage wins on that play because uh, it a perfect throw. Uh, the corner can just jump underneath that still, right? Right. I mean, so you have you to get. create enough separation. And that's why an out route is like, I mean, especially when you have those where you're throwing like opposite hash to the other sideline, it's just, they never, it's never tried. A comeback route is one thing where you're coming back to the quarterback and you work back to the ball. But an out route, you're fading away from the quarterback. The ball is, I mean, there's very little room for error. And plus you need enough separation to give the ball time to get over there. You float that at all a little bit and that's picked off and going the other way for six. Right. The
0: simplest way to put it is that it's a low percentage attempt, which is why I don't like that play call. Yeah, I would have preferred to, given that the Vikings had three timeouts, uh, they had the two minute warning at that time, they had plenty of. They, honestly, they had they probably had too much time on the clock. If they scored fast, it would have been a problem. So, I well, would attack the middle of the, still, you, well, yeah,
1: middle of the field there. You you yeah, you attack middle of the field, well, but you run it on third and three for one. Right. Um, and if you're stuffed there, then you attack middle of the field or screen, uh, a
0: screen would have worked there too, I think. And I'm okay yeah. with throwing a screen really to Madison. Really isolate
1: Diggs and get that slant, honestly. That's what, that's what I would have done. The only,
0: the only reason that I'm against that is because I think they were in zone and they were off the line of scrimmage. Well, No, they couldn't have been. That wouldn't have made sense because they would have to have been within three yards of the first. I would have done the slant. Too. I think the slant is the, the obvious pick there. You pick your guy to go one-on-one. You assume that he's probably going to get linebacker help over the middle and zone. So, if, that's, if that slant is coming off of the line of scrimmage on the right, say Diggs lines up on the right side, that slant's coming off the line. He does a quick you know, two yard cut and breaks free. All he needs to do is create one yard of separation, and you te- you, basically you test your chemistry between Cousins and Diggs there. And you bet on your it's guy. The same your, play your two last year, guys. if you remember.
1: Last year, if you remember the Vikings Packers game at uh, U.S. Bank Stadium basically what they ran in that play in that game to ice it right they ran a little slant and it was actually not a great throw by kirk but kind of dig sort of reached back and caught it in traffic and got like four yards out of it or five yards but it was enough to ice the game A first down won it they got it there uh uh, that's what i think you go to there anyway your primary option needs to be digs on that play right um because he's going to beat any defensive back across from him so but you know it is what it is don't give up 37 points and uh Maybe this is a different story.
0: Yeah. So I think we've talked about the defense. We've talked about the offense. We've hit on all the major playmakers for the most part. I don't want to spend... I'm not going to spend any time going off on Xavier Rhodes. That's not... This is not the show for that. I mean, he wasn't good. That's... You guys all know that. We don't need to talk much more about him than that. What I do want to talk about... And I think this is an optimistic point before we jump into scale is... And this is kind of... Honestly, this will kind of bleed right into scale is this game, for as monumental as it is, right, Uh, all of you are thinking, you know, this was the opportunity to, you know, control your own destiny, Uh, you can, if you beat Green Bay in a couple weeks, and you continue to beat these kind of quote, inferior opponents over the next few weeks, you have the opportunity to win the North, you can have the opportunity to get a first round buy, you have an opportunity to you know, basically have home field throughout the postseason, it sets you up with a lot of different opportunities. So from that standpoint, this is very disappointing. But at the same time, if you're going to lose, if you have to lose a game, you hope that it's against a really good team, you hope that it's on the road, and you hope that you play well. And I think the Vikings did those things for the most part. Like, this is not a catastrophic loss. It's super disappointing. And it, it certainly, and this is why I say it's going to bleed into the goal scale, it, it, it certainly affects my, my optimism for this team in relation to the Super Bowl because of the path that they have to take now or most likely have to take now, barring something happening with the Packers. But this was not a bad loss. They played a quality football game against a really good team. And if a couple things swing their way, if they have Adam Thielen in this game, we might be looking at a 37-30 to Vikings victory as opposed to the 37-30 Seahawks victory.
1: Perhaps. I mean, I, I, I still struggle with the... I, I mean, it, Seattle's roster isn't good. Uh, they're not. I don't think they're that great. They're definitely not a 10 and 2 team. I mean, they their record says they're 10 and 2, but um, without Russell Wilson making clutch play after clutch play in close games, uh, and he, I don't think he necessarily did that in this game, but he has so many times built out this team. You know, that roster is probably you know like a, a seven and five, eight and three, or eight and four type of team, something like that. So I do think Minnesota's roster is better. I think they're the better. Going into the game, I think they were the better overall team. Uh, it's just that Russ had been making so many plays. So from that perspective, I think that w- this was a game you really uh, want to win and you want to gain um, kind of that that edge up in the wild card race for one over Seattle to get you know who everybody wants to play the NFC East champion uh, if you're in the wild card situation. But also this, uh, I just don't think Seattle's that good. Besides Russ, I really don't.
0: So how disappointed are you? in this loss
1: uh, it's 1-10 to ten. how disappointed like seven and a half, eight. 8 I mean it's this was your chance this is Kirk's chance to make a statement this is Minnesota's chance to make a statement because right now they have zero wins against a winning record team if you I mean it depends on how you if you qualify them by what the record is at the time or what the record is now Dallas is 500 uh, they've proven to be kind of frauds at this point Oakland, uh, they just happen to be in the NFC East Philadelphia is the same way they just lost to Miami Oakland is not actually good and nobody really thought they were so, I, I don't, I don't know. It, it just, it, it seems like at this point the Vikings are a team that's going to beat up the worst teams on their schedule, and they will probably struggle against good teams. And then when you have, when they have to go on the road in their wild card game, at this point it's going to be either Green Bay or New Orleans or San Francisco or Seattle. Maybe I, I don't see them winning that game. Uh, now this might change with Thielen back. It might change um it, it, it's just the secondary is a mess they can't stop the run now i guess because they don't have any interior defensive pressure so really you're on defense you're relying on hunter and griffin to get there every single time and so i mean really you're asking kirk uh, to put up 30 points in every game essentially against good teams and that's a lot to ask for a guy who has historically struggled in big games and in prime time and against great opponents so it, it from that perspective I'm not very optimistic about the rest of the season. I think they'll make the playoffs. I just don't like their chances of winning.
0: That's a probably a perfect segue into the school scale where we will be judging both your optimism, yep. mine as well. And I believe we do we have Twitter responses too? Do we get that? I don't off know the if time? we do.
1: Okay. We, we 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 asked for responses very late, which yeah. is my fault. So uh, if we didn't get yours or you didn't get the opportunity, that's that is my fault. So... Feel
0: free feel free to leave uh, your thoughts on that um, in the comment section or shoot us a, sh- uh, a tweet on social media if you still want to fire this off. We'll obviously still read them. So, uh, skull scale is always uh, judging your optimism. Uh, it's kind of the way that we look at it is you know for example an eight point five tells you. That's what I've been running with. Tells you that uh, we think that you know the Vikings can beat about 85% of teams. That's the way that we look at it. Your optimism can waver in different ways. There's a reason why we ask you to uh, explain your responses every time instead of just giving a you know a digit. Uh, but I think that this game kind of shifts where we stood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like I said before, I was an 8.5 coming into this week. I was hyped. I was excited. Where were, uh, were? I think you were at an eight, right? I think I was eight. Yep. So where where do you stand now?
1: I think I'll go like 6.7. I think this is a pretty it's a pretty big one just because yeah. I think the the defense was so you like it it was manhandled across the board. Um, you know, it's 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 devastating when you know, Zimmer clearly comes in and is inviting Seattle to run the ball. And uh and they just they did it anyway. They ran all over him. You know, it's like it's like, um, and then you know when obviously the blown coverage too, with behind Xavier Rhodes and Russ. It's not like he played a bad game. He's still efficient throwing the ball. Um, it, it to me, it's a little bit like Dallas, where it, it seemed like uh, Zimmer was like, all right, we're going to stop the run. We're going to stop Zeke and make Dak throw the ball. And he did throw all over the place. But when a time when the time came to make the the key stops or uh, stop, uh, you know Zeke from getting those key first downs at the end of the game, the Vikings made the stop. They couldn't do that with Russ in the passing game, though, in this game, where there was blown coverage all over the place. Uh, Rhodes looked a step behind. Miscommunications, whatever you want. So uh, this defense is even gifted a, a pick six from Russ, and they still allowed 30 points outside of that, or 37 points, I guess. So um, it, it. I, I really – I just don't like their chances of going on the road in, against the playoff team and winning uh, because I think this defense is just decimated and far, far behind – where they were in 2017
0: yeah so there's a lot of reason to drop your school scale this week um, I'm, I'm down to seven I, I still have I still have hope and I'll explain I'll do that f- I'll give you you know what I'll take that back I'll give you the bad news first so the bad news goes off of what you just said um, playing on the road uh, in the postseason I think that the Super Bowl dream for this season it's it's not necessarily dead but it's on life support yeah Here's my and my my thought process. There is off the top of my head. I did not fact check this, but I believe there have been two teams in my lifetime. So I was born in '91. Two teams in my lifetime, wild card teams, that have ultimately ran the table and won the Super Bowl. That is Eli Manning, when they went through and they ended up beating the 16 and 0 New England Patriots, and Joe Flacco when
1: I think the Giants did it twice actually Did the Giants do it twice Okay so the I think they th- did it twice
0: two teams three times in tw- you know essentially 27 years okay So that right there gives you long odds just in theory it's not it's it's always going to be a hard that's going to be a hard road and the fact that there aren't that many you know occasions of this happening it's generally going to be the representative rent, representatives in the NFC championship and the AFC championship at least one of them is almost always going to be a team with a bye, and the other one is probably going to be a team that had a home home game in their first mm-hmm. in their divisional round matchup. So that's a problem right there. The second point is the fact that, like you said, uh, the defense isn't isn't it's not it's not good. It's it's bordering <laughs> it's, it's bordering good. on it's bordering on bad. It, 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 we're get, we're getting to bad, I think. And
1: that's not. There are, there are three players I trust on. Well, the four players I trust on defense right now. I would say, and two of you them are on it. the
0: defensive line, which is yeah, you got we're not spreading it out. Pass rushers
1: much. off the edge. Which, how it's pretty sad that the Vikings are essentially wasting really an all-time duo pass rushing performance right yep. here between Griffin and Hunter. In terms of like the pressures they're getting per game, it's unbelievable. Um, but then, you know, Harrison Smith. I still believe. I think he has lost a step. But I still believe in him. He still, still makes safety. a
0: big play every week, though.
1: Uh, and then Eric Kendricks guarding, or I guess covering like running backs out of the backfield, tight ends. I still trust him in those situations. But yep. other than that, I, I don't. I think everybody's regressed straight yep. up on on defense. So that's it, where the defense stands. To see.
0: Fortunately, the offense has turned it up a little bit. The. The problem that I see here relative to the postseason specifically, and I think ultimately that's all we really care about, is what can the Vikings do in the postseason? So our optimism level has to be reflected by that thought, right? Uh, those wild card teams that did ultimately go on to win the Super Bowl, those took a lot, okay? It took a, a historic run from Joe Flacco, it took Eli Manning playing the best, best, uh, best football of his entire career, not once but twice. And on top of that, it took a couple of fluke plays to get him there, too. The David Tyree catch. There's the Jacoby Jones burner down the the right side that should never have happened.
1: Oh, over Denver.
0: Over Denver. I mean, you need to – not only would the Vikings need some, some breaks, but they'd need to play extremely well, and those are just two things that the Vikings historically are not great at doing during the postseason. Consistency, playing well, and getting breaks when they need them. Those things just don't happen to Vikings fans. So yeah. just that's that's kind of my standpoint now, there.
1: I think the 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 optimistic part here mm-hmm. is that I think it's very possible and I would almost say it's likely that the Vikings finish the season twelve and four. Because they're gonna have There's they got that. three out of four games at home. The other one is essentially another home game playing against the Chargers on the road in that stadium. That's almost a home game too. So they really have they're gonna have four games against you know, with a home crowd. Um, And, you know, you get the Chargers who can't win anything. They're they're trying to actively lose games, it Mm -hmm. seems, every week. You got the Lions with David Blau, and you got the Bears, um, Mitch Trubisky, and then you have the Packers at home. And I like the Vikings to beat the Packers at home, too. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you have four very winnable games, and they're. I think they're going to end up at 12-4, and four, but they're also going to be in the wild card, because I think the Green, green Bay schedule is even softer, so they're going to win out or finish 12-4 and four themselves, but then I think they'll have the division record tiebreaker, so
0: they'll end up at 12-4. And four.
1: And four. It, it's weird, though, because like you win, you know, it, 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 like, for example, the, the, the Packers game week two is killing the Vikings right now. Yeah. Killing them. Yeah. Kirk's worst game as a professional is killing the Vikings, because that's losing them the tiebreak in the division. It's losing them one game in the conference, which might be the difference between a wild card and a first round bye. Mm-hmm. Absolutely killing them. And that, that, I think it's going to, again, it's going to be the difference. And I think it's going to decide the season because they're going to have to go on the road as a wild card team versus potentially getting a first round bye based really on the result of that game or the Bears game, if you want to factor that one in too.
0: Okay. So the other reason for optimism here I'm with you. That 12 and 4 on paper, if you told me that we could pencil the Vikings in for 12 and 4 at the beginning of the season. I would take it, no matter what, mm-hmm. okay, because I would expect that that's going to win the North. Right, it doesn't but seem the like NFC is gonna... so
1: freaking loaded. Yeah, it's re-
0: or top heavy at least. Uh, yeah, the other reason that I think that you have still have reason to be optimistic is that the teams that the Vikings could potentially play on the road in the postseason first, okay, in the first in the very in the first round, wild card round, Green Bay, who. In my opinion, the Vikings blew that game. Well, Kirk Cousins kind of blew that game. But the Vikings, as a, as a team, blew that opportunity. They, to me, they showed that they can win that football game. Will they do so? I don't know. But they have the capacity to do so. That will be a good football game regardless, especially because they're playing it for the third time in the year. It's, it's al- that's always going to be hard. Playing a team two times is hard enough. Three times makes it even harder. Okay? And I trust Zimmer over Matt LaFleur in that situation. So I like the, the opportunity there. The other options, New Orleans, who the Vikings have played. For what it's worth, they've played some of their best postseason football at the Superdome. I know that the NFC Championship game with Pred Favre did not turn out the way that we all wanted, but that was a hell of a football game. Maybe the best football game that I've ever seen in my life. And they had a real, real opportunity to win that game, barring some fl- fluky Vikings you know, voodoo stuff. Uh, okay? Fahutahi. Right. And... <laughs> Yeah, exactly, and so there's that, then there's also Seattle, who right now has a bye, they just proved to me, they did lose that game, but they just proved to me that they can contend with Seattle, and they'll have an even better shot to do so once they get fully healthy, even with this defense, even with it, okay, they still have the opportunity to win that football game. The one team we don't have answers on with this, that's in contention, (coughs) excuse me, is San Francisco? Who is probably? If there's one team that has a glaring weakness, especially in the postseason, it's probably San Francisco with Jimmy Garoppolo. So, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, I'm sick. Um, so, again, uh, so that's now, I'm
1: also going to throw out the scenario because I think it's also likely, um, not likely, it's it's certainly possible. If the Vikings went out at 12 and four, which given their, their schedule, I think is very possible. I think we should absolutely, you know, factor in the possibility of playing the NFC East champion. Right. And, getting and that's, the the fi- because, that's the final point because I'm lo- specifically looking at San Francisco and new Orleans and their schedules. Mm-hmm. They play each other this week for one. So one of them's going to lose. Uh, and then I think San Francisco also has Seattle and the Rams yet, which by the way, we can't, we need to talk about the Rams too, because they're still very much in the playoff race. If the Vikings were to slip up, right. uh, but you know, I think San Francisco, especially given that they play three really good teams and, you know, they play New Orleans, they play Seattle and they play the Rams left on their schedule. They could very well drop to 12 and four or 11 and five. And I don't know what the tiebreakers look like um, with the Vikings and the and the Niners, but that, that they do have that tiebreaker. Then they grab the five and they play Dallas or Philly. So, and you feel get, confident
0: with them playing at either Lincoln Financial or Jerry's World
1: for sure. Heck of a lot, heck of a lot more. But uh, you know, more confident in that than uh, going to Lambeau or or the Superdome.
0: But the point being here is is that for those of you who ha- are think, thinking that all is lost, I, I, I don't think that it's there yet. I do. Th- I'm with you that I think the Super Bowl dream is on life support because if you don't have a buy. It's just really, yeah, it's really tough. hard, okay, to it win really it all. The... But if you're looking for postseason success, this is certainly not over. The Vikings can win in the wild card round for sure. This is, I will say this about the Vikings. Then we can close this out and you know finish up here, is that this is the last team that any team wants to see in the playoffs. It's the Vikings, okay, because they're going to be playing on the road. They play pretty well on the road. They're three and four on the road now. They're competitive th- every time. They've got all the playmakers. They've got all the pieces to do it. They can, you know, they can pass the ball. They can run the ball. You think that, you know, they could play a little defense, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. They're
1: gonna get the- They're gonna. Th- they're gonna get Thielen back too. Yeah. So they've got like time, but... no
0: team wants to play the Vikings in the first round of the postseason. This is like that's like a worst case scenario. I think that, I think I would rather place – if I'm New Orleans or I'm who else is up up top? Seattle or Seattle and New Orleans are one two right now. I I would think I would rather end up playing, you know, in the second round. I think I'd rather play San Francisco, honestly. I don't think I'd want to play the Vikings. That's just where I'm at.
1: Okay. I think the
0: Vikings are, like, they are the...
1: I'll feel feel a heck of a lot better if they do end up getting the five seed, because I really like them beating, going to Dallas again and beating them, or going to Philly and winning there. They've beaten both those teams at those respective stadiums in their last... uh, Appearances against them, so I like that, and I think it's very possible that the five seed is still in play, uh, given the schedules of some of these contenders. But again, like you said, it it after it, it's really tough to win four essentially four road games in a row, which is what it would take. Yep.
0: It's definitely a frustrating frustrating situation to be in for the Vikings, especially when you break it down to the fact that they might be twelve and four and they get a six seed, which is just and that's just very frustrating as a fan. <laughs> and there's not there's nothing you can do about it. There's yeah. no realignment that the makes this better. The most frustrating
1: part is looking at this season from the perspective of you know if they win that Week Two game, everything. I mean, if, everything. If they beat the, awesome
0: Bears, yeah. the Bears either either too,
1: yeah, Bears game too. Either one of those games. If they if they win either one of those games this season, right now, is completely different. They're still leading the NFC North. They are. Um, no, they're probably – I think they're still a two seed at this point, even with the Seattle loss. Yeah. And they have the tiebreakers over Green I mean, it's – everything's different. And those two eggs are costing them a lot in the playoff picture right now.
0: Yeah, just another argument, I guess, for not having divisional matchups until at least October. Schedule makers out there. I'm
1: for it. I'm for that. So,
0: anyways, that is the show today. You got any final thoughts before we close this thing out?
1: Uh, no, I really, I really don't. I, I'm, I'm done with this game.
0: Yeah, I'm ready to move. Uh, move on to. Um, anyways, thank you for listening to the show. As always, you can find us on Daily Norseman, uh, Megaphone as well. I don't think does anyone use Megaphone? Is that just the I don't know. You can find Megaphone. Find us on Megaphone. Um, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, most places that podcasts are available. Uh, the only one that we don't have is uh, Spotify. So anywhere else, you'll be able to find us. Find us there. Uh, tweet us. Uh, unbelievable underscore MN you can find us on YouTube if you prefer to watch us talk about the Vikings and we will be back later on this week looking ahead to a rematch at home against the Detroit Lions thanks folks